we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. I cling to my limitation, you cling to your limitation, and therefore there is perpetual conflict. Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives. The aim is to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is limitation. Upcoming themes are power, discontent and being and becoming. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our updated website at kfoundation.org where you can find a new introduction to Krishnamurti, a growing collection of articles, a wide selection of quotes, and a new index of topics for easy access to carefully selected texts and recordings. Our online store stocks all available Krishnamurti books and ships worldwide. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on limitation has four sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Bombay, 1980, titled, Is There an Energy That Is Limitless? We must be clear that we are thinking together. This is really, if you don't mind my repeating it over and over again, very important. We never think together. Each one thinks according to his own particular desires, conclusions, concepts and ideals, hopes, and so on. So there is never coming together in our thinking, in our feeling, in our observing. And as our brains and mind are the result of thousands and thousands of years, That brain and that mind is not yours or mine. It's not an individual mind. It's the mind of all humanity. I think this must be made 
perfectly clear right from the beginning. What we consider our special brain, our special mind, has evolved through millennia. That is a fact. Your brain is the result of thousands of years of experience, so-called evolution. Evolution being a series of accumulation of knowledge through time. That's a fact. It's not the speaker's invention or the speaker's desire hope, but that's a fact. The fact being that your mind is the result of thousands of years, and that mind is not your mind. is the mind of all humanity. You are the humanity. Please, we must understand this very carefully together, because all humanity throughout the world suffers. All human beings go through various forms of struggle, conflict, despairs, lo- desperate loneliness, grief, anxiety, uncertainty, confusion. This is the lot of man, as you are the rest of mankind, you are the mankind. If one could understand that, not intellectually, not verbally, but the, the truth of it, inwardly. When one feels this, the reality of it, the truth of it, then this separate, isolated activity, self-centred, ends. Your concern then with the whole of mankind. You know, that gives one a tremendous vitality. Because when we narrow this brain and this mind to a individual self-centered activity, as we are doing now throughout the world, that is me is the most important active idea, the me and the you. On that we live. But when one realizes the fact and the brain specialists are also saying now that the whole of the brain, please understand all this, the whole of your brain is retains memory. It is memory. 
memory being accumulated knowledge through experience. That's a fact. And as long as we function within that area, which is limited, because all knowledge is limited, there is no complete knowledge, both in science, biology, archaeology, in any direction where knowledge is operating, is always limited. Right? This is so. And therefore, that knowledge is always within the shadow of ignorance. Right? Please understand this, because we are going to go into the various questions which involves our daily life. Until we understand this very carefully, see this, the truth of it, that our minds are the rest of mankind. If you see the truth of it, there is great beauty in it. There is a sense of total responsibility. Not responsibility to your family, to your uh, your jobs, to this or that. You are totally responsible for all mankind. So we are going to think together to find out whether our energy is limited always, or is there an energy which is limitless? Because now our energy is limited by our actions, by our education, by our narrow nationalism, by our beliefs, by our gods, by our religions. It's all canalized. Right? You're following all this? And when energy is limited, its activity must also be limited. Right? So we're going to find out if it is possible for human beings to act so that their action is not fragmented, broken down, and therefore in that there is a great deal of conflict which is a wastage of energy. Right? You are following all this? Please don't be mesmerized by this speaker. Don't go to sleep. We are not giving out ideas. We are not disseminating some concepts. 
we are together you and the speaker together finding out for ourselves in which there is no authority whatsoever do the speaker sits on a platform it doesn't give him any authority right sitting on a platform is merely for convenience and so we must forget or put aside when we are listening to the speaker that we are together moving walking as two friends so that we can discover for ourselves the truth of things which is beyond all belief all tradition all gods all concepts so if we have established a relationship between the you and the speaker not only verbally but intellectually and also actually you understand the difference between actuality and the verbal capacity of the intellect to grasp the meaning of words translate those words into concepts and live according to those concepts we are not doing that we are dealing with actuality that is what is actually taking place now is the one can only deal with that not with concepts you understand all this please because concepts ideas ideals are non facts what is actually happening are facts so we are dealing with what is actually happening to each one of us and most of us want to avoid that because much easier to talk about concepts ideals and all the rest of that nonsense and never come to face what is actually going on in our daily miserable limited life right so please if i may request you most seriously we are dealing with actuality not with ideas right the word idea comes from the greek and latin so on which means to observe means to observe not observe make an abstraction of it into an idea into a concept your fundamentals so we are concerned with our daily life what is actually going on inwardly inside the skin as it were and also what is happening outwardly the outward 
and the inner are like the tides of its sea, going in and going out. Right? I want to. Now we're saying our brains have extraordinary capacity. untold capacity, as you can observe in the, in the technological field, what human beings have done. The atom bomb, the surgery, the medicine, transportation, the the division between people and so on. The brain is, has got extraordinary capacity, and that capacity is narrowed down by our tradition, by our books, by our beliefs, by our constant battle with each other. I hope you understand all this. So this vast energy is brought down into a small, narrow groove. It took energy to, for you to come here. It took energy for you to put aside some time to have leisure to come here. When we talk, when we see, when we think, when we feel, all that demands energy. Everything that we do demands energy. But this energy, instead of flowering, increasing, to a vast degree, we have brought it down to a small area which is our daily, miserable, conflicting, contradictory life. Right? Do we see that as an actuality? Or, when you listen to this, are you translating what is being said into an abstraction which becomes an idea? You follow what I'm saying? So I'm a, we are asked, I'm a, the speaker is asked, how do you listen? How do you receive a statement of this kind? Do you listen? Or do you resist? Or, in the very act of listening, you are translating it to your own convenience, to your own comfort, resisting so that you continue in your tradition, in your work, and so on, so on, so on. So it's very important to find out how you listen. You're following this?
Do you listen at all? That you naturally you hear with the ear, but the hearing with the ear is very limited. Right? You hear the words, the meaning of the words, and there you generally stop. You don't pursue the full meaning of the words, the full content of the words, because the word is the expression of thought. Thought, as we pointed out the other day, is limited, because knowledge is limited. And knowledge, which is experience, and therefore it becomes memory, and that memory is limited. And when we listen, we are listening with thought. I wonder if you understand me. How we come? May I go on? Right? Are we listening with thought or, or merely listening? You see the difference of the two? I can listen with, to what you are saying, arguing with you, with non-verbally arguing, a dialogue, and never listening to what you are saying. Because my thought is interfering with, with listening to what you are saying. Right? So can you listen without the movement of thought interfering, which is quite an arduous thing if you have gone into it. Because we are always listening not only with the ear, hearing with the ear, but also listening not only to what you are saying, but also listening to the thought which, are, which is interfering with what you are saying. I wonder, right? So can you listen without the movement of thought interfering with the act of listening? Because we are going to go into the question, as we are doing now, as long as we live, narrowing all our energy to a self-centred activity, Life must become torturous, full of anxiety, grief, sorrow, because we are reducing this vast energy to a small, narrow little groove. The second extract is from the third talk in Sanan, 1978, titled Thought is Everlastingly Limited. If you have observed, whatever we do 
act emotionally or non-emotionally. All our activities are based on thought. Thought is limited. I do not know if you accept that or if you are aware of it. Why is it limited? We think it, it can do everything. Climb the Everest, go to the moon, go to the depths of the earth, of the sea, we thought is the most active, most important, vital thing in our life. All our education is to cultivate knowledge and encourage thinking clearly, if you can, and act from thought. And thought has created not only the, the technological world, but also has created wars. Not only marvelous surgery, but also thought has created conflict between two human beings. Follow this is facts. Thought has created the quick transportation. Thought also has created the destruction of all human relationships. And one must, if you are at all serious, go into this question why thought has become so urgently important. As we are talking together, you are thinking, right? You are following verbally. So your activity of the activity of thought is going on. trying to understand what's being said, trying to judge whether it's right or wrong, what value it has it in daily life. You're all the time in inquiring with the instrument of thought. And thought has created heaven and hell, not only the Christian world of hell and heaven, but also actual hell and heaven, the enormous poverty, the misery, the confusion, the uncertainty of existence. So, how is it that thought has created these problems and thought thinks it can solve these problems. 
right? And all the politicians are trying to solve our human problems through thought. As a cunning, stupid, uh, devious, dishonest, but still thought. Can thought solve these problems which thought has created? Right? You understand my question? So one must ask, what is the meaning of thinking? What is the source of all thought? Not only yours, mine, or somebody else's, the root of thought. If the root is limited, what the, the, the outcome of that must also be limited, right? You can't think thought will do something extraordinary. If the limited thing is, the root is limited, it, all its activities must be limited, right? So what is the root, the very, very source of thought? Find out, sirs. Don't li- I've asked the question, don't wait for me to answer it. Then, then you accept what I'm saying. That would be disastrous. But whereas if you are really passionately, urgently demanding to find out, you will find out. What is the essence, the beginning of thought? I point it out. Don't accept it. The beginning of thought is the brain registering danger or not danger, the pleasure and the fear. Right? The original man or the ape from which we have come, or some source of from which we have come, that the brain, which is very, very old, hmm, ancient beyond words, it must have registered danger, death, fear, Security, right? So the beginning of thought is the process of registration. 
which is memory. Right? I'm not, we are not saying anything extraordinary, these are facts. And what has been registered is knowledge, knowledge of danger, knowledge of pleasure, knowledge of the fear between the two. And this accumulating process of knowledge, which has constant registration, day after day, centuries upon centuries registration, which is the accumulation of knowledge, that knowledge is in the brain, and that knowledge which is memory, and from that memory thought is born. All right? One moment. So, if you are disagreeing with me, it's all right. Don't agree or disagree. We are not arguing. Show off who is clever or who is less clever. But we are just <coughs> inquiring, not asserting anything. So, Memory, knowledge, is the outcome of the past, right? So the past is limited. Knowledge is limited. You may have more, 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 but it's always limited. And there have been people who say man can ascend only through knowledge, rise higher and higher and higher. There are the philosophers, the speculative intellectual romanticists, that knowledge is the essence of growth, which is the past will always remain. The past will, by accumulation, is evolution. As an acorn, little thing grows into a marvellous huge oak tree, so we, that same attitude or that same example is transferred to this idea, to this accumulative knowledge, growing, growing, growing. We have never asked whether knowledge is limited and therefore 
can knowledge end and something begin? You understand my question? So thought, born of memory, knowledge, is always everlastingly limited. And our activities, therefore, is always limited, based on thought. Right? It's not my argument. It's not what I posit and start from there. But if you go into this yourself, not according to some professor, not according to some theoretician, psychologist, then if you do, you become second-hand human beings, which we are. But whereas, if you look into yourself and go at it, surgically, not emotionally, then you'll find out that thought, of its, because of its very limitation, has created all the problems. Right? Is this clear between us? Or is this clear to yourself, not between you and me? All the scriptures, all the poems, all the literature, all the rituals, the gods, the images, everything is the product of thought. Horrible idea, isn't it? when you realize it. So, when there is identification with something, thought is the process of identification, therefore that identification limits, limits the energy and that energy is used as an individual. You know? Which, therefore, the individual becomes more and more limited. And his action then will be limited, obviously. Which is what is happening. England on one side, Europe on the other, America, Russia, racially, politically, religiously, in every way. All that is based on thought. And is there an action? Please, we are inquiring. Is there an action which is not based on thought? Therefore, an action which is not limited, confined, which means is there an, an action which is not based on knowledge, on memory, on remembrance. Don't say that's impossible. 
or it is possible. You don't know. We don't know. We are inquiring. We are asking. Because in liberated action there is regret, mischief, pain, anxiety, whether you have done the right thing or the wrong thing. All that follows from limited activity, which is called the individual. And the individual, limited, is seeking the infinite. Theoretically they can assert that it is the infinite, but to find out, to come upon that infinity, that thing which is not measurable, one must go into the very, very depths of thought. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Sanan, 1983, titled Self-Security in Limitation. We are concerned with ourselves. Self-interest, from the highest category of people, intellectual and so on, down to the most primitive people, the educated and the uneducated, the sophisticated and the religious people, <coughs> they may identify themselves with something noble, but that very identification is part of self-interest. And the brain, our brain, is concerned only with that. Personal problems, problems of mathematics, problems of computer, and so on. But basically we are concerned with ourselves. That's a fact, right? However much we may try to hide the self-interest in noble work, in meditation, in belonging to various groups, the self-interest dominates, consciously or unconsciously. If we are honest, look into ourselves and our activities, political, religious, and so on, we are only concerned basically with ourselves. And we have lived that way from the beginning of time. 
and we are still living that. And so the brain only functions in a very, very small, limited field. Is that all the function of the brain? To be concerned with itself, with its problems, with its pleasures and sorrows and pain, ambition, greed and so on. That's the way we have lived. And the result of that in the world is chaos. Each one wanting to fulfil, wanting to achieve, whether illumination, enlightenment, or become a big businessman. It's the same thing. So we have reduced our brain, which is an extraordinary instrument, into something so petty. And we have reduced that brain to be very, very limited. It may be extraordinarily capable in the technological world, the marvellous instruments that they are creating, instruments of war, instruments of surgery, medicine, communication, computer. There, the brain has function with an extraordinary vitality, with extraordinary capacity. And that very brain is only concerned with its own self-protective activity. This is all obvious fact. We're only dealing with facts, not with ideals, not with ideas, not with theories, facts. <coughs> As we explained the other day, facts are something that has been done in the past and remembered something that is being done now. Those are the facts. From those facts we abstract ideas, conclusions, strong opinions, which have nothing to do with facts. So, the brain lives on memories and not on facts. This is very important to understand if we are going to 
explore together what is the function of the brain, what is the deep quality of a brain that can penetrate and find out its deep function. We are dealing with facts only, which is that we are a series of movements of memory, which we talked about the other day, memories, that is, the faculty to remember. To remember things that have happened and the things that are happening now. So the memory has become very extraordinarily important, which has nothing to do with facts. My son is dead, he's gone. And I remember there's only remembrance. And those on those remembrances I live. On those memories, on those incidents which we had together, I cherish those memories. Right? Which please, you are doing this, I'm not telling you something which you are not doing. So we are a series of movements of memory and time. Memory is time. Right? Memory is the reaction of experience, knowledge, and the things that one has remembered. This is what the Self is, what we are. I do not know if you have ever inquired into what is the present, what is now. Is it the cessation of memory, or we don't know what the now is at all? May I go into a little bit of this? Zero contains all the numbers. <coughs> Mathematically, zero was invented by the ancient Hindus, and in the zero all the numbers contain. Is the now Please listen. Is the now 
the totality of all time. We'll go into this further. <coughs> so the brain, having cultivated self-interest, which is the accumulation of memories, and so the brain has become a very, very small psychological instrument. When I am thinking about myself all day long, it's a very small affair. Or when I think about the whole world, it is still a small affair. I don't know if you can understand, we are moving together, I hope. Right, sir? So, why has the brain got caught in this narrow circle of the self? The self, the me, the ego and all that is nothing but words and memory. So, which is so. And that self has become so terribly important. And when one is concerned with oneself, all our actions must be psychologically limited. And where <coughs> and where there is limitation, there must be conflict. I am a Jew. You are an Arab. That's a limitation. A tribalism, which is limited. And I cling to my limitation, and you cling to your limitation, and therefore the perpetual conflict. If you are constantly repeating, I'm a Russian, and identified with that particular country, tradition, language, and all the literature of that country, it's very, very limited. So, we have reduced the brain, the brain seeking <coughs> security in the self, has made itself limited, psychological. So there is a contradiction between the psychological limitation and the extraordinary limitless technological progress. <coughs> 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 
You is this the function of the brain? To live perpetually in conflict. And therefore, there is never a liberation, a freedom. Is this the function of the brain? Just to limit, live in a small area, psychological. And is it possible when you understand when one understands the nature of the self, as we briefly explained? Is it possible to break down this limitation? And who is to break it down? You understand? This limitation has been brought about by thought. Thought which has Created or sought in the limitation security. And thought itself is limited. Because thought is the outcome of vast experience, accumulated knowledge stored in the brain, in the very brain cells. No, the speaker is not an expert, we have watched very carefully. And thought is the outcome of memory. Right? As memory is limited, knowledge will always be limited, and experience is never complete. You understand? So, the brain is functioning with the only instrument, the limited thought. Is this are we moving together? And so, we are perpetually living in conflict, in struggle, in pain and sorrow. Because we seek security in the limitation. In memories, and so on, that's simple. So is it the function of the brain to find security, survival, physical survival? One must survive physically, unless, of course, one is a little bit dotty, then that's a different matter. 
But one seeks physical security and also psychological security. Is there psychological security at all? Don't please don't accept this. Go into it very carefully with the speaker. Together we are examining. We are not imposing a thing on you. We are not trying to convince you of anything. I really mean this. We are not trying to convert you to some philosophy, which is a hard. I'm not. So we are together, walking, perhaps hand in hand, down a lane, shady, full of dapple light, and the beauty of the earth around us. And we are talking about serious things, not pity little things. Because we're both serious. And we say, is this what we have reduced our life to? Just seeking self-security in the limitation. And physically, there is no security, because of wars of racial, tribal conflict, ideological conflict between the Russians, the totalitarians and the so-called democratic, the West and the East. They are preparing for war, you know that. Of course, they won't listen. Can't talk to the politicians for their concern to preserve their own position. You know all the rest. I don't. So we're asking: Is that the only function of the brain to seek security in limitation? That's what we are doing, and in the search for security and limitation, we are bringing about havoc in the world. Right? Such great disorder, confusion. The final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk at Brockwood Park in 1972, titled Can the Mind See Its Own Limitation? There is this division between consciousness and unconsciousness, unconscious, and the unconscious has its motives, its racial inheritance, its experience, and so on, so on. All its... How can that be exposed to the light of intelligence, to the light of perception. 
Do you ask this question? If you ask this question, are you asking it as an analyzer who is going to analyze the content? And therefore, division, contradiction, conflict, struggle, and all the rest of it. Or are you asking this question not knowing the answer? You're, you're following this because this is, please, this is important. If you're asking the question, which is, there is all this content in the unconscious. I don't know, honestly, seriously, how to expose this whole structure of consciousness which is hidden. I really don't know. Hmm? Therefore, when you approach it not knowing, you're going to learn. But if you have any kind of conclusion, opinion, for or against, that it cannot be, that it can be, then you are approaching with a mind that has already assumed the answer. Or no answer. Therefore, a mind that says, I do not know, which is the truth, which is honesty, I may know it according to some philosopher, some psychologist, some analyst, but it's not your knowing it. it is, they're knowing it and you interpreting it and trying to understand them, not what is actual. So when you say, I do not know, right, what is there then? You have understood? When you say, I do not know, the content has no importance whatsoever. You get it? Oh, do see this. Because the mind, then, is fresh mind. You understand? It's a new mind that says, I don't know. Therefore, when you say it with, not just verbally for amusement, with depth, with meaning, with uh, honesty, that state of mind that does not know is empty of its consciousness, is empty of its content. It is the knowing that is the content. Oh, my Lord! You got it? You see it? So the mind can never say it knows. Therefore it is always moving, living, Therefore, it has no anchorage. 
only when there is anchored, it gathers opinions, conclusions and separation. Now, this is meditation. Which is meditation is to perceive the truth each second, not the truth ultimately. To perceive the truth and the false each second. To perceive the truth that content is consciousness, that is the truth. To say, to see the truth that I do not know how to deal with this thing. Right? That is the truth, not knowing. Therefore, not knowing is the state in which there is no content. It is so terribly simple. That's what you are objecting to. You want something clever, complicated, put together, and you object to see something extraordinarily simple and therefore extraordinarily beautiful. So can the mind, which is the brain, see its own limitation Limitation of time, which is the bondage of time, and the limitation of space. And as long as one lives within that limited space and time-binding movement, there must be suffering. There must be psychological despair, hope and all the anxiety, everything takes place. So when the mind has perceived the truth of this, then what is time? Then is there a different dimension which thought cannot touch, therefore cannot describe? We said thought is measure, and therefore time. We live by measurement. All our structure of thinking is based on measurement, which is comparison and all that which we've gone into last few days. And thought as measurement, 
tries to go beyond itself and discover for itself if there is something immeasurable, which is not measurable. And to see the falseness of it is the truth. You understand? Wonderful to see this. The truth is to see the false. And the false is when thought seeks that which is not measurable, which is not of time, which is not of the space with its content of consciousness. 